HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica White's your host. So Memorial Day is done. Father's Day, check, done. The summer solstice is this week. It's upon us. And that means it's almost July 4th. Independence Day. Can you believe it? I mean, slow down a second. Wasn't it just Passover? I mean, I... I still have five unopened boxes of matzah to use up because, of course, we waited around until the afternoon of the second day of Passover to buy our matzah. And by then it was on super clearance. And so I had to buy the six pack because it was such a great deal. Of course. I mean, to me, by the time July 4th rolls around, the summer is like it's over. It's basically over. That's it. I mean, think about it. What do we get? Six more weeks to Labor Day, you know, and already by the 4th, the days are getting shorter. Now, yeah, full disclosure, I am one of those people who starts talking about the end of the summer in June, and I guess that's my dark Jewish side. What can I say? We see the dark side in everything, even on the brightest day of the year. And so here we are, approaching the day we celebrate our freedom from British colonization and our freedom to begin doing the colonizing ourselves. The day we remember how we clawed our way out from under the throne's thumb and started our own damn country. So, of course, it's the day we roll out the big icons. The flag, the fireworks, the genocide, the gay pride, all the classic American summer icons. And, of course, this year... All of us hard-working American people are going to get screwed because the holiday is on a Wednesday. Who does that? So it hardly makes sense to even do anything for it, to even observe, to plan. I mean, last year at my job, which shall remain nameless, we had the whole week off. We were given the entire week off, but then the big boss, the owner, 
he forgot that he gave us the week off. He approved it, and then he forgot, and he showed up, and he came in to an empty school, and he got pissed off, and he felt stupid, and so he punished us this year by taking the whole week away. Now, that's how you run a successful business, like an insecure, punishing parent. And I mean that in the most respectful way possible, of course, because I do want to keep my job. So how about those icons anyway, huh? So for some reason, my semi-socialist-leaning parents, the McGovern voting workman circle members, registered liberals that they were, they still hung the flag outside on every federal holiday, every patriotic holiday, not federal holiday. And I'm still not sure why, really. I mean, patriotism did not run deep in the house. But I mean, maybe, you know, my mom was a World War II immigrant slashed naturalized citizen. You know, she escaped Europe. And my dad was a Korean war, I mean, Korean conflict, sorry, veteran. Maybe they were influenced by those events and it influenced their version, their version of patriotism. I don't know. But my dad actually never had to go to Korea during the Korean War slash conflict. He was actually stationed in New Jersey during that, where he served as the Boy Scout troop leader for the sons of the officers on the base. Now, see, that shows you that it pays to be a scout. Because in scouting, you learn valuable, important life skills and survival lessons, like how to evade and avoid combat duty in Asia in the 1950s. And instead, later, watch it on mass in the 70s, like the rest of us. Now, I was a brownie and I was a Girl Scout. And as we have discussed in the past, especially in my Armageddon show recently, The End is Near, What's for Dinner? I have mad survival skills. Yo, mad, mad skills. So anyway, we hung out our flag on our little split-level house on the Long Island Prairie. And we fired up the charcoal grill. Because back then, everybody used charcoal. And like everyone else, we ate our edible icons. We ate our burgers and our hot dogs and our corn on the cob and strawberries and watermelon, and, but also smoked bluefish. We ate a lot of smoked bluefish. We caught a lot of bluefish in Long Island Sound. PCBs be damned. Maybe that's why I'm only four foot ten. Who knows? And if my kosher grandparents weren't around celebrating with us, there were probably lobsters too. You know, all the red, white, and blue foods we represented the potato salad, strawberry rhubarb pie, all that classic American goyish summer stuff. And of course, we had the most patriotic foods, the ubiquitous, ever-present, so common you don't even think about them, the king and queen of the barbecue table, the condiments, K&M, ketchup and mustard, the twin icons of American condiments, near I say the conjoined Twins of American condiments, inseparable. Yellow deli mustard and a bottle of Heinz. In the bottle, remember, it was the 70s. Except we probably also had some golden spicy brown mustard, you know, because we were Jews and into deli and all that. And you can't put yellow mustard on deli. It has to be spicy brown mustard. And we probably even had an early on jar of Grey Poupon, which only really hit the big time in like 1980. Because even... They were aspiring to be semi-sophisticated socialist-leaning liberals who were never going to sit in the back seat of a Rolls-Royce asking the gentleman in the next car over if he had any Grey Poupon. But at least we could have the mustard that the commercial implied that we had sophistication. 
Or at least we had seen the commercials. I don't even know if that just makes sense. Or probably I think the theory, my theory, when I was really thinking about that, is that more like the yellow mustard was too Germanic, too German, too close for comfort, I think, for my European escapee mother. Whereas maybe the French stuff seemed a little less menacing. I mean, you know, the French would be speaking German now if it weren't for us. Just saying. But instead, of course, they're speaking English like everybody else in the world is. And everybody should be. But we had them, like every other fridge in America. We had them, ketchup and mustard, Hellman's mayo also. But only that. Certainly nothing as waspy and lowbrow and goyish as Miracle Whip. God forbid, Miracle Whip. I mean, that shit, that was for our Midwestern cousins. We had Midwestern Jewish cousins. They wound up in Indiana. And that's where I first encountered that, like, fluffy, sweet, nasty miracle. They were transplanted academics. Of course, you know, the state university systems out there were rapidly exploding in the 60s and 70s, and they needed professors, so they kind of imported all these Jews to the Midwest to form these little expat communities amidst the cornfields and the Hoosiers. And I I first experienced eating Pringles out there, too. We visited them one Fourth of July in the very early 70s. And that's where I first saw Pringles because all that stuff was always test marketed in the Midwest first. It always showed up there first and then eventually it was foisted on the coastal markets too. But even back then, I was cautiously suspicious. I was curiously envious that they were allowed to eat that stuff, but cautiously suspicious because I didn't yet have a word for foodiness or I hadn't yet coined the term foodiness. That wouldn't come for a couple more decades later when I realized that my true calling in life was to be a famous John Stewart and Joan River in, Rivers-inspired campy guru telling you to eat more vegetables and fewer veggie puffs. But even back then, I knew there was something wrong with chips in a can and a spread that had such a vague non-food-sounding name. Miracle Whip? Miracle Whip. I mean, just thinking about it, it sounds more like something from like an S&M shop in Chelsea or the former Chelsea, pre-Highline Chelsea, than something you would feed your kids. Although it probably did come out of the same manufacturing plant in China. Anyway, I was on to foodiness already. Not consciously, but I was on to it. I just didn't quite know it yet. But still, we ate ketchup and we ate mustard on Long Island, in Bloomington, Indiana, or even in Far Rockaway, New York, where my kosher Orthodox grandfather, used to put ketchup into his soup, his matzo ball chicken soup. Yes, really. I mean, talk about assimilation. He would shake the ketchup out of the iconic bottle, stir it into his soup to dissolve it and eat it. And I would share it with him because I loved it and I loved him. And I'm sure we can agree to forgive anyone who survived the Holocaust for having a weird relationship with food, even though he was actually born and raised in Brooklyn. So as I was thinking about the show this week, I really got to wondering, you know, what are condiments? Are condiments food or are they foodiness? Are they real? Are they shit? Now, when we teach the classic French mother sauces at work, the mother sauces, you know, the mother sauces, 
Of course you do. Doesn't everybody know the mother sauces? You know, bechamel and hollandaise and espagnole and velouté and the classic French tomato sauce. Don't you make these? All the kinds of, like, fancy words I used to talk about on my old show, Why We Cook, before I realized that my true mission wasn't in talking about cooking so much as I had better start talking about things like any tizers and microwavable pre-scrambled eggs if I wanted to ever hit the big time. That when I talk about those maternal sauces, when I'm teaching, I always like to also mention ketchup. Because I think of ketchup actually as the sixth mother sauce. Now, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, here's a very quick lesson. In French cooking, there are these five mother sauces, which I just named, and you have to teach people how to make them, and everybody learns how to make them. And then you go off and you work in restaurants, and you rarely ever make them again, except for maybe holidays if you're forced to work brunch. But no one really ever uses them. Maybe a bechamel if you're making mac and cheese. It's a white sauce. That's all. Anyway, the point of the mother sauces is that you make these mother sauces, and then you make derivative sauces from them. Little variations offspring, if you will, like foodiness, actually, which is all about derivation from actual food. But ketchup stands on its own. It doesn't need derivation. And I still like to make that joke because I love ketchup. The joke about the six mother sauce, which you probably don't really think is even funny because you're not there. I think it's funny. I'm not above laughing at my own jokes. Now, I love ketchup and I love mustard too, but my mustard love came much later in life. I wouldn't even taste it until I was well into my teens. I really didn't like mustard. Now I love it, but I, I love them equally. I really do love them equally. Like how moms, moms say that they love their kids the same, that they have no favorites, but really they don't. All moms love one kid more than the other kid. It's okay. I mean, if I had a Sophie's Choice moment with the two of them, like, if I were being held as an inmate in a condiment camp in rural Indiana after Romney wins and they round up all the liberals and Jews and non-Republican gays and New Yorker reading elites and people whose parents campaigned for McGovern and whose children voted for Ralph Nader and in this camp where I'm forced to eat bologna on white bread and pick corn and listen to Lee Greenwood sing I'm proud to be an American all day and vote to protect traditional marriage and maybe invade Greece, I don't know who I'd pick. Probably mustard only because it's more versatile and I could use it in cooking. But I love ketchup so much, I don't know if I could live with myself after. I mean, what can I say? I, I know how Sophie felt when she had to make her choice. I really understand her motivation now. So the question is, are ketchup and mustard food or foodiness? Now, when we were planning out this show, Chris... You all know about Chris by now, right? Chris Nutter, he's my co-producer and my co-writer. Chris thought that I needed to talk about them because he thinks that nobody, meaning him, nobody knows what they're made out of. He thought that ketchup and mustard were made from like foodiness chemicals and colors and scary soylent green-like substances. Now, of course, this is the man who up until very recently, until he met me, drank raspberry Svetka with Diet Sprite and protein bars. Now he is the first successful graduate of foodiness re-education camp, and he knows better. And he drinks dirty martinis and is now catching orthorexia from me. But he didn't know what ketchup and mustard were made out of. We will be having a future show, by the way, where we celebrate his graduation from foodiness re-education camp. It's coming up next season. 
He said that now that I've taught people to be so suspicious of all their food, including olive oil and salmon and beef and chicken and milk and soy chips and canned soup and eggs and turkey bacon and smart water and grandmas, how can they be expected to look upon the condiment shelves without a commensurate sense of existential distrust? That surely whatever ketchup and mustard are or were, that they can't be that anymore. And even if they are probably radioactive or poisoned with lead, lead to watching Mob Wives and Dance Moms. I guess I always just assume that most people know the same things I know, but apparently this isn't true because how do you then explain the fact that you are now listening to my show? Okay, so let's get real. I am about to announce my first and probably last piece of good news in 35 episodes of doing this show. Soylent Green, yes, indeed, is people. Kardashians are, no, not people. But ketchup and mustard are food, not foodiness. Yes, this, this show, this week, has a positive spin. Can you believe it? I am totally okay with those two foods, especially mustard, which is really good for you. It's just made from mustard seeds and vinegar and salt and white wine, if it's Dijon, and turmeric, if it's yellow. And turmeric is just a spice from India that they add for color. Ketchup is really good for you, too. All those cooked-down tomatoes are full of lycopene. It's good for you. And ketchup is just tomatoes, tomato paste, vinegar, sugar, salt, and spices. Now, some brands of ketchup are very high in sugars, especially corn syrup, corn syrup, which, as you know by now, definitively shit. Corn syrup is the shit that the tagline for this show refers to. And you don't want to eat much of that unless you want to be one of the potato people. Remember the potato people? But it's a condiment, which means you eat it sparingly on top of food. It's not a food group. It's definitely not a vegetable. It's a dip, a condiment, not a sauce. Show some restraint. A little corn syrup won't kill you. A 40-ounce soda will, but not a couple tablespoons of ketchup on your french fries, although you will get a good dose of sugar in there. So then maybe don't eat, you know, eight or ten cupcakes afterwards. How's that idea? And also now, by the way, Heinz makes a version of their ketchup called Simply Heinz, which is sweetened with sugar, not corn syrup, if that matters to you. Now, of course, the proceeds will go to Teresa Heinz Carey, which is a very worthy cause in case her husband ever tries to run for president again. Ugh, why would he? They also make one with sucralose, you know, Splenda, which is not okay. I'm not even going to discuss that. But if you want to know more about my position on artificial sweeteners, please refer to my episode. If you want to stay thin and not get cancer, eat real food. Now, after working with me for almost two years and becoming a diehard foodiness conspiracy theorist, Chris says he just assumed that ketchup was made from artificial tomato flavoring and chemicals, but he now knows better. It's food. It gets the no foodiness stamp of approval. Now, if Heinz is listening, Heinz, if you're listening, I would be totally open to sponsorship and endorsement opportunities. Just call Chris Nutter. And Teresa, if you're listening, Chris wants you to know that he loved those Chanel suits. And now that Sterling Cooper Draper Price actually has the Heinz account, maybe I'll even get to meet Peggy in the process. And Hunt's, which is the distant number two brand, has removed high fructose corn syrup from all their ketchup. So take that, Heinz. Ha! They beat you at your own game. But Hunt's is owned by ConAgra, and I have big issues with them, as opposed to Heinz, which is owned by Campbell's. 
who I also have big issues with. But, like I said, at least Teresa Hines was married to John Kerry, which makes it okay. Who knows? The point is those Chanel suits and all of that work on her face do not come cheap. And they haven't really effed with ketchup. It's pretty much the same as it ever was. I mean, I guess they could have by making it with artificial tomato flavor or out of, you know, Chinese surplus blood or something like that. But I probably shouldn't give these ideas away for free. So I'm going to stop. But they have effed with the delivery system. Apparently, the problem with ketchup is that it wasn't fast enough. Remember the commercials in the 70s that Heinz used to sell ketchup that poured really slow, like condiment foreplay? Remember that song? Now, this is where I was going to play Carly Simon's Anticipation, which was the ketchup song of the 70s, but I'm not allowed to use songs anymore that I don't have the rights to. So we're going to take a little break. Think about that song while you listen to this. We'll be right back. White Oak Pastures is a 146-year-old, multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan beef that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Eric Weitz. That music was meant to get you in the mood for 4th of July. That was the 1812 overture. But that was one of the weirdest mashups I've ever heard with that old geezer from Appalachia talking over it. That was pretty weird. Just think about what I was going to play. The anticipation song. Okay. Anyway, where was I? Okay. So in today's multitasking, Adderall addicted, texting, updating, too busy to even pour ketchup world, the anticipation doesn't fly anymore. If you've been listening to this show way, way, way back when in the second episode I did, which was called An Inconvenient Food, you may have learned that foodiness researchers have now designed a new way to eat ketchup. Apparently that glass bottle, too slow for everybody. Now, one way that ketchup can, of course, be eaten is in a little fast food packet. But apparently this was the problem is that people were in their car. They were driving. They wanted to eat their French fries. They couldn't tear the packet off and put it on the fries. And it, it like it, the system wasn't working. The system was broken, kind of like healthcare. So one way they came up with is this new packet where one end could be torn off and squeezed out. But the other end is like a little cup and it can be peeled off and it becomes like a little dipper. So now you can dip and drive as you cram fries into your mouth while driving, which is very convenient. You have no more drippy mess. People used to squirt the ketchup in their mouth and then add the fries. Now you don't have to. Now you just peel it back and you dip between texts. And I guess in a world where we now fast forward through commercials, we have to fast forward through the ketchup too. I mean, at least Carly Simon made a shitload of money off of that song in the process. Now, mustard is even simpler. And I really can't believe Chris didn't know what mustard is made from either. Don't people just know? 
I mean, again, he assumed it was something real at one point, but it had been turned into an artificially yellow-flavored paste. But he also didn't know what marjoram was made from or that it was bad for you. He thought it was just like less fattening butter. He really has been like the first ever foodiness re-education participant, and he has done such a good job. Now, of course, I am paying him to make me famous, but that's okay. But, you know, maybe that's pretty common to not know where mustard comes from or what it's made from. I'm going to quiz my students tomorrow and see what they come up with. Yellow, you know, what I, I said it before, yellow mustard is made from ground yellow mustard seeds and vinegar and salt. Brown and Dijon mustards are made from brown mustard seed, and Dijon has wine added to it. It's called Dijon because it comes from Dijon originally in France, where they grow all that mustard, except now the French make their mustard from Canadian mustard seeds because the Canadians have so much more space to grow their crops than the French. And I think it's funny how the Canadians haven't actually latched onto that and marketed some kind of Canadian artisanal mustard to the world. Maybe they're too busy enjoying their national health care and subsidized educations and Celine Dion to be worrying about the marketing of their mustard seeds. So they're icons, just the two of them. So American, so classic. Or are they? Now, we think of ketchup as this quintessentially American thing, but the original ketchup was actually a Chinese sauce made from fermented pickled anchovies and spices. Hmm. And from China, it made its way to the Malay states where tamarind and other fruit was added to it. And then the British explorers there tried it and they liked it. They brought it back to the UK and they started making all kinds of ketchups out of all kinds of things, mushrooms and nuts. And then, of course, they all came over to the New World and found the tomato, which people thought were poisonous. But once they got over their fear of that, they started using tomatoes, as they would have said, to make their ketchup. Now, it was originally made from unripe tomatoes, and it was much thinner and much saltier because the salt was a good preservative for long-term storage. But then commercial ketchup manufacturing began, and it was originally preserved with sodium benzoate, which was already known to be harmful but was being used in processed foods around the turn of the century. Now, sodium benzoate was banned after the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. And the formula for ketchup was forever changed. Now they made it from ripe tomatoes, which have a lot more pectin, which is a thickener. Note to my gay listeners, it's not a male breast enhancement product, pectin. And it made a thicker product, and they added a lot more vinegar and sugar, which acted as preservatives, so they didn't need the sodium benzoate. So it's basically like a jam, It's tomato jam with vinegar in it. So over 100 years ago, ketchup manufacturers actually had to reformulate ketchup to change it from foodiness back to food. Isn't that weird? It's funny how our iconic American commercial ketchup started as a foreign product from China, then morphed into a British one, then in America became one of our first commercially commercially available prepared products, And then underwent a foodiness intervention over 100 years ago. Full circle, right down the rabbit hole and right back out again. And don't you think the universal American love for ketchup is one of the only things that we can all truly agree on? I mean, who doesn't like it? Not liking ketchup is like not liking puppies or sunsets or Conan O'Brien. Only commies don't like that stuff. Even my parents liked sunsets. I mean, ketchup is the condiment we can all believe in. We can all get right behind it. But what about salsa? 
Because you know, we've all heard these statistics that, you know, salsa is number one now, outsells ketchup. And we also know that within a couple of years, the population balance in the U.S. is going to tip and whites will no longer be the majority. You've heard this, right? And right along with that trajectory is the slow but steady ascent of salsa, climbing up the condiment ranking ladder to the top spot. Now, I like to think of ketchup and mustard as your average American white couple, mom and pop. Think of Grant Wood's American Gothic, or even better, think of Archie and Edith Bunker. Sitting there in their respective worn armchairs, thinking their white American thoughts, fearing their non-white neighbors, the Jeffersons, who made it and headed for the Upper East Side. They got out of Queens. The Lorenzos. Remember them? Frank and Irene, the horny Italians. Well, these days, Edith and Archie, if they were still living in that neighborhood, probably would have a Latino family next door. And their ascendant symbolic jar of salsa would be growing bigger every day, swallowing up Archie's ketchup or Edith's mustard jar. And as the proto-tea partier figure, Archie Bunker, I can guarantee you he would not have been happy about that. But his cousin Maud would have, or she would have claimed to have been. Now, would Maud or Archie be surprised to find that salsa today is number one? I mean, I hate to upset my tea party listeners because I do have some. But salsa's not even really a Latin product. No reason to be racist about it. It's, It's based on pico de gallo which is a Mexican condiment made from tomatoes. But it's really more of like a Tex-Mex product. But it's the big one now. So it's almost like it's half bush, half the illegal busboy at Taco Bell. It's a tough call. So is salsa food or foodiness? Well, I say food. I like it. And you know what? At least you're eating some vegetables when you eat it. If ketchup and mustard used to be the king and queen of America, think of it this way now. If mustard is your unemployed auto workers in Michigan who kept insisting on building Buicks and SUVs and ketchup is your unemployed high school dropout in the inner city who saw no reason to get an education because playing his Xbox all day was more fun, then salsa is your cleaning lady and her husband, your lawn guy, who have worked so hard that now they own the two businesses and are buying your foreclosed McMansion shithole right out from under your lazy overfed white ass. So I got no problem with salsa either. It's the ascendancy of the salsa nation. So watch out, whiteies. But not us Jews. We're okay. We're exempt. And the other crazy hot condiment right now is sriracha, also known as rooster sauce. I'm sure you know it. It's the hot chili sauce in the clear bottle with the little green cap. The bottle has like writing on it in Vietnamese and Chinese and French and English and Spanish. It's like the international sauce. And we all think it comes from Asia and we're really hip because we eat sriracha, but it was actually invented in a Vietnamese immigrant's garage in California. And it was brilliant. Brilliant. It's basically just thinner, spicier ketchup made to appeal to the huge melting pot of American culture. And now they sell more than 10 million bottles of sriracha a year. And they had to buy a warehouse next door where Whammo used to make Frisbees and hula hoops, the icons of our former American culture. But now we're too fat to hula hoop. And who's going to run after a Frisbee anymore when you can just play Frisbee on your Wii Fit? Then we can just stay inside and eat more salsa anyway. So if salsa is your cleaning lady and your lawn guy, 
Sriracha is your vegetable market guy and your manicurist. And they are coming to buy your McMansion too. And they're going to tear it down and build an even more obscenely bigger one. And their kids are kicking your kids' asses in school. And we totally deserve it. Because we don't really want to do any work anymore. We want instant gratification. We want the drive through the microwave. No can opener required. Remote control. Pinterest living. Think about the ketchup bottle. If you're old enough to remember the iconic Heinz bottle, it used to be glass. And the ketchup was really thick. And it took a little bit of work and patience to get it out of the bottle. It was part of a process, part of the Heinz mystique. And if you knew to kind of whack the bottle on the 57, it would come out faster. But then sometime around probably 20 years ago, we decided that shaking a ketchup bottle was too much work. It was too hard for our delicate weakling offspring. And so we put it in a plastic squeeze bottle, which is so much easier and so much less work. I mean, what a relief. And now we have the dip and squeeze, which I mentioned earlier that little ketchup packet and it makes the process of going through the drive-thru so much cleaner and quicker and easier makes eating in your car so much easier because now you can also eat mcchicken bites because they were designed in a container that fits into your cup holder so you can shove them in your gaping mall while you text your way to the mall and while your kids are playing video games in the back seat you can't write a song about anticipation when you're talking about squeeze bottle ketchup going to take another very quick break and then we'll wrap this whole thing up we'll be right back this land is your land and this land is my land from the california to the new york island from the redwood forest to the gulf stream waters this land was made for you and me Like I said, a very quick break. I just wanted to get a little socialist anthem in there for all us patriots for this upcoming holiday. Remember, if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, you should find me on Facebook. You can look for Let's Get Real on Facebook and become a fan and tell me that you like the show or tell me you don't like the show. I want to hear either way. You can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can also listen to any of my shows on letsgetrealshow.com where you can also watch the new video version pilot of Let's Get Real. And you can always listen to any show on Heritage Radio on the heritageradionetwork.org site now. Whoops, I almost said .com, but it is .org now. And you can find any Heritage Radio show ever and ever and ever on iTunes. So there's no excuse not to listen to us. All right, so I guess what I'm trying to say, if you haven't figured it out for this past 35 minutes, on this not-so-dark, very special episode of Let's Get Real, is that you can eat condiments and still eat real. You don't have to stand there in the condiment aisle wondering which one is toxic or not made from lead or made from dead female Chinese babies. Ketchup, mustard, salsa, mayo, sriracha, they're all real food. They're not foodiness. They're not shit. But there are always different levels, different degrees. There are better versions of them all. And I would say organic ketchup is always going to be a better option. Even the big ag brands are now making organic ketchup. Although, who knows? You know, USDA organic. Who knows, really? I say if you're going to eat a lot of ketchup, you should get the organic. Because ketchup is a concentrate. And why concentrate all those pesticides into your 
food. Any thin-skinned fruit. Oh, there's a really good gay joke in there, but I can't think of it. Oh, well. Any thin-skinned fruit, like a tomato, will accumulate a lot of pesticide residue. So spring for the organic. I think it's worth it. And it sends a good message to the manufacturers. So most condiments are definitely worth the money since you use them sparingly. They provide a lot of food pleasure, and they usually go a very long way. But, of course, there are a bazillion artisanal condiments around now. Have you been to Brooklyn lately? We're drowning in artisanal condiments. Mustards and salsas and relishes and sauces and vinegars and bitters. Fucking bitters. Enough already with the bitters. Brooklyn is artisan condiment mecca. Now, I was at the New Amsterdam Public Market a few weeks ago, which is a great place. And this guy was selling this vinegar, this like super spicy, delicious vinegar that you can just dilute with water and drink or put in cocktails or cook with or whatever. It was really good. I paid $14 for seven ounces of vinegar, which seemed a little steep, but I thought, well, it's a really good product and I'll take the bait. So on the way home, we started doing the math. It turns out that that vinegar, which he said is just Hain organic apple cider vinegar with some chilies and spices... Works out to $2 an ounce or $64 a gallon. I freak out when I have to pay more than $4 a gallon for gas, but I'll happily shell out $64 of my hard-earned money for spicy vinegar. $64 a gallon. That's more than Chris pays for his Svetka. And that's not even the raspberry one anymore. Now, that is one smart food entrepreneur, that guy, and I am one dumbass sucker for buying it, but... It is really tasty, and I like to support the small business guy, sucker that I am. So anyway, this brings us to the end of our very special, not-so-dark episode of Let's Get Real. I'm not, like, turning over a new leaf. Don't worry. This isn't, you know, I haven't gone on medication or something. It's still me. But it turns out that you can douse, completely douse, your grass-fed, locally-grown organic hamburger with ketchup and mustard and mayo and dip your organic tortilla chips and salsa with relative impunity and in a sense of safety and wholesomeness and health and all-American patriotic goodness. Oh, just one little fine bit of fine print. Eating deli mustard colored with turmeric will give you lead poisoning. That's all for tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Good night. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.